0: So get a good look at this piece. Here we actually have a fragment that has some residual paint on it. So we've been looking at a lot of completely washed clean sculptures. Here we actually have some trace paint on it. And that just reminds me, using that word washed, uh, different reasons for how the paint may have disappeared over time. And what are some possible, possible explanations for why most classical sculptures unpainted to our eyes. Exposure to weather, right? Exposure to moisture, the water when it's buried in the ground, yeah? Or light exposure, natural light, sunlight is a big, big thing, especially ultraviolet light. This is even in the Art Institute where we're very careful to put ultraviolet filters on our lights, ultraviolet filters on our windows uh, because ultraviolet is particularly damaging to pigment, But also a lot of the um, disappearance of color has happened in more recent times. Sometimes the best thing you can do to an ancient sculpture is to leave it in the ground. And as soon as you take it out of the ground, what little bit of color it might have remaining on it will quickly fade away from light exposure, from air exposure, from accidentally maybe a little too deliberate cleanings by uh, early, early collectors. This piece is interesting, I don't know, because this is a bit of a temple fragment. It might have been on a funerary monument, but uh, more so in a, in a religious temple context. Look at the interesting figure on his knees there. You can see the lovely reddish color of the uh, the flesh tones and the, the, uh, the, the tall figure, headless tall male figure to the left. This, this flesh tone, so one thing that paint was used for is to... Well, differentiate roles, various roles. So, well, gender roles. This is why often on Greek ceramics, uh, oftentimes the women might have a lighter colored appearance, whereas the the men who would toil and labor out in the fields would get the the heavy tan. Uh, So, actually, so women as well as aristocratic men who don't have to go outside might have a lighter colored flesh tone. Gods might have also lovely whiteness to their skin or sometimes gold. And in other cultures, color is used to differentiate deities in an entirely different manner. The Egyptian god, Osiris, sometimes is seen with skin that is black. Sometimes also skin that's green. Those are two popular colors for the skin of Osiris. Any guesses why? Why? So underworld, what about that? What do we often associate black as being a color of? Mourning, yeah, or in Osiris, the god of the dead. But at the same time, the funny thing is, in the Egyptian context, black was a color of life. You think black, the color of life, that's unusual. Well, the, as the, before they, um, they built the big dam in the 1960s, every year the Nile would flood, and it would leave uh, these this rich deposits of soil after the floodwaters receded. And this black, rich, fertile soil, we plant our crops in that soil. And then, so from this, this lush, fertile blackness comes all of the, the green plant life. So green, also another color of life. And Osiris, as much as he's the god of the dead, he's also the god of life. Because death is just a gateway to a new life, right? So anyway, the tangent, but that's a couple... Ideas behind how color is used to differentiate and distinguish roles. Roles of different deities, roles of uh, people in society. Of course, ornamentation. We find uh, purple especially is a very regal color of the Roman emperors. Uh, Here we have these lovely blue wings of this figure. Wings, okay. Who is this fellow on his knees here if he has wings? And look at those legs. What's up with his legs? They turn into these like snake-like tendrils. So it's a very angelic-looking figure, right? And then these tall, noble, regal figures. This is a representation of, I think I mentioned earlier, this battle between the Olympian gods and the giants. And one uh, exceptionally well-known representation of that you can find today in Berlin is this uh, great altar of Zeus, which was once at the, um, the city of Pergamon, which was in, uh, in Turkey. So, like Knidos we mentioned earlier, so many wonderful ancient Greek sites actually are on the western coast of Turkey. I mean, think of Ephesus and many other places. This was a thriving colony in the Greek world, uh, the western coast of Turkey. And so this uh, magnificent, colossal representation of the Battle of the Gods and the Giants, you see uh, similarly the, the snake tendrils you see on this... Uh, this giant fallen at his knees an otherwise exceptionally powerful figure the giant so could certainly crush any mortal but at the under the hands of the grasp of the goddess Athena you know even the poor giant suffers on his knees so and then the beautiful wings and down here down below you see the, um, the Gaia mother earth the mother of the Giants and she's beseeching Athena please you know don't hurt my child <laughs> have mercy We have about five minutes left, and I'll leave you over in China because polychromy isn't just happening in the Greco-Roman world. Also, so many of these these uh, stoic-looking figures of the Buddhist and Hindu traditions were once vividly, brightly painted as well. So we're going to have a look at um, one example of uh, just reinforcing how the way we see it in the museum might not be... uh, reflective of how it originally appeared.